Anthony said that you've been testing a few things with like Svel and that. We probably won't talk about that. We'll probably stick it to just Git pod things. Yeah, Svelte is fine. Git pod is fine. I'm cool. If it comes up, it comes up. I may just bring it up very briefly just because it validates my prediction for 2021, which is that Svelte was going to go full stack. So thanks for proving me right. Welcome to the show, Mike Nichols. You are the Senior Developer and Customer Success Engineer at Gitpod, a company that is currently super close to my heart as I've been using it every day for the last month. So I might come off a little bit fanboy. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. I think we should get started explaining what Gitpod is in the most simplest way possible, what it is to developers, what it is to anybody. How do they use it? What is it? Sounds like a good start. Let me first quickly talk about how we currently develop or how we have been developing in the past. You have your local development environment and you pull down the source code from GitHub or or Bitbucket. Then you install a bunch of tools, some languages, Node.js maybe, maybe a Java version. And that's all fine and good. And then you start working on another project and another project and they use different versions of Java, different versions of Node.js. And then it starts to get tricky, right? Then you're going to manage the right version for the right project, the right dependencies and all that. Where Gitpod comes in, we basically take all that and we let you develop in the cloud in an isolated environment for each of your projects. Think about going to project A on the internet or GitHub or GitLab anywhere. You start that up in a container that runs on Gitpod and everything that you need for that project is pre-installed, pre-configured. And by the time you start the workspace, you're ready to develop. It already built the tools, it downloaded dependencies and you're off to the hook. That's basically at a very, very high level, what do we do? We let you develop in the cloud through a browser interface using VS Code as you used to locally. And we separate each of your projects. Gitpod's actually been around for many years. I don't quite know the number, but I know it's more than two. And I know it's definitely a lot longer than GitHub's competitor, Codespaces. You've made a pretty cool cake. It's on your blog that you sent to the GitHub offices. It's pretty cool. Let's start with how Gitpod got to where it is today. And if you don't know, basically it's VS Code in the cloud without its wrapper. So it's wrapped for Windows, Mac, Linux, and XYZ. Without that wrapper, instead of a, it's got a web wrapper that allows you to export ports, use Git, everything you could need in VS Code is in the cloud. It started with a different ID, didn't it? That's right. Yeah. So way back. So the team itself, they've been doing that for probably a decade or so by now, building different IDEs, building developer tools. They got a first attempt at doing that a couple of years ago. VS Code at that time wasn't quite ready for the web. It was more of an Electron app using web technologies, but not actually ready to run in a browser. So they built an editor called Thea that kind of looked like VS Code and it was a bit confusing because, you know, it felt like VS Code, but then it wasn't actually. So they launched that as a first kind of version. But then about two years ago, what happened is that VS Code and the VS Code team, they started to prepare for code spaces. And that's when our lead engineer on, on the Thea editor realized that that might be what we need, right? It is now ready for the web. So let's start migrating from Thea to VS Code because that's what people are familiar with. And that's kind of how that migration happened over the last couple of years from using our proprietary, or it's open source, but using Thea and moving to something that people are familiar with. And we then donated the Thea editor to the Eclipse Foundation. So that keeps on running as a separate project. 
I believe when I joined Gitpod, you could still use Thea, but now I'm pretty sure it's no longer a thing. That's right. Because I went into the dashboard saying, I know it's in here somewhere about like switching it between VS Code or Thea. I was like, the option's no longer there. I can't remember which one it was called because yes, I've only used VS Code version. It works really, really well. There is some caveats to it that I'm sure we'll get into, but I think it's first worth talking about the benefits. It's VS Code in the cloud, but what does that allow? There's a really good video by Paulina that talks about the perfect flow, and it starts obviously with a issue. Do you know which one I'm on about? Absolutely, yeah. That's my daily workflow. <laughs> I can walk you through that. There you go. Do you want to explain it? Absolutely. The way I work and the way everybody works that uses Gitpod is that the easiest thing to do is first install a browser extension that adds a little Gitpod button to GitHub, GitLab, and Bitbucket. So if you browse your repositories, there's a button. When you click that while you're looking at an issue, that creates a workspace on Gitpod. So it takes that issue and it starts a workspace with the latest code. Usually what you want to do is when you work on an issue, you want to first create a branch and start to your development in that branch so that you can later create a pull request. Now, Gitpod does that for you. So that's one thing you don't have to do. The branch is already created with a meaningful name that you can just use. You do your development in that branch and when you're ready, you push it up, you create a pull request. You can do all of that through the VS Code editor inside of Gitpod. You open the pull request and you ask your colleagues to review it. Now, you may have added a new dependency or you may have removed something from the project. When your colleague goes to the pull request, they also have a Gitpod button in that pull request. So they can click that, start a workspace for themselves for that PR and then review it, leave comments right within the editor itself. So you're in a familiar environment. You have the same tools that you're used to when you write code in order to review the code and you leave your comments there. You push that back up. You can collaborate with your team members. You can even share your development URL with other team members to get an approval to make sure you know the design looks like the way they expect it, things like that, without pushing to a staging environment or anything like that, all straight from your development within Gitpod. This is something that we've actually been leveraging in Redwood. When I usually look at tools like this, I've thought about them traditionally as useful for teaching and learning and getting people spun up really quickly. But I was surprised to find that a lot of the Redwood core team members were really excited about Gitpod. Very, very experienced developers who have no problem setting up a local environment. It's this collaboration aspect that you mentioned because we're just constantly fighting this huge bundle of complexity, as Aldo likes to say, getting everyone synchronized around something is really, really powerful for the framework. So I'll be curious if you know of any other open source projects that are starting to do this. It's just probably a day or two early to say that it's finished, but I'm working with the Node.js community to enable the same thing for the Node.js repository. We're really close there. So, you know, if we recorded that two days later, I could be a bit more certain about it. But that's really, I think, my most exciting project at the moment because that is going to show that it doesn't matter the size of your repository that runs. And I'm looking forward to finishing that. One of the big things that makes it all possible is this thing called a pre-build step. It's fully configurable all the way to however the project needs it. So for Redwood, it creates a branch of the master repository of Redwood and also a demo project, links them together. Whatever you edit on one will correspond to the other one and literally takes away 
tons and tons of manual time. The favorite saying I feel like should be splattered all over Gitpod's website and everywhere it is, is works on my computer because I've dealt with this myself multiple times is I run on Windows, I run on Linux, I run on Mac. Oh, it works on my computer and it doesn't work on mine. I've actually had this myself. I had to boot up a Gatsby 2 website that I hadn't worked on for like a year. It's always had them sharp dependencies that sometimes just totally mess up on Mac. I literally boot it up in Gitpod and it worked straight away. And I was like, that was that testing moment for me with Gitpod. That was like, I've downloaded this off GitHub. I've tried to run it on my MacBook. That's up to date, ready to use. And it just doesn't work. I boot it into Gitpod, inject the environmental variables, and it worked. It's no matter. Now, does it work on my computer? It's does it work in the cloud? <laughs> As you probably know. There's another use case that more and more companies start to explore, and it's the use case of workshops. If you've ever attended, or even worse, if you've ever led a workshop, you know that the first half day is just setting up everybody's environment. That's now a thing of the past because everybody just clicks that button starts a workspace and they're up and running a couple seconds later. So as you said, it's all right there. Yeah, and I did this myself. I watched David Piano, I know that's not his last name, but that's his Twitter name, a workshop on XState. And he had loads of code that was in these folders. I forked it, clicked Gitpod, booted up, and it just worked. What's really good is that I also still have it pinned in my Gitpod, so I can just reopen it, view the things that I learned in that project, close it again without it being lost on this computer like everything tends to. This is kind of a controversial question, I think, in terms of it's more business than it is Gitpoddy. Do you think Gitpod and these cloud-based solutions will change the way companies give developers resources? i.e. you're no longer getting a fully spec 2020 MacBook, you're now getting a Chromebook. I initially came to find Gitpod because I had a Chromebook at my previous employer. It's like I want to develop and I was stuck. I could have done it locally, but I just didn't like it. It made a huge difference. Now, whether companies are going to start doing that or not, I think in theory they could. Whether developers are going to accept it or not, that's a different story. <laughs> we'll see. But I think in, in theory, we have coworkers and, and customers and people in the community, they use their um, iPad to develop in the cloud using Gitpod. So you really don't need these high-spec machines anymore. Maybe you need them to run Chrome. That's a whole different story. But <laughs> in general, for the development itself, you get away with very little spec locally. I'd be curious to know a little bit more about what you're doing before Gitpod, because you were working at Google Cloud, I believe. And so I would guess that was probably a really great cloud education. But you eventually decided you wanted to go to more of like a startup. You wrote a blog post about this that we'll link to. So if you want to just talk a little bit about that. The previous employer that gave me a Chromebook that I mentioned, that was Google. I was in the cloud department helping enterprise customers migrate from their on-prem environments to the cloud. And I enjoyed it. I loved it a lot. It was it was really opening my eyes. It was the first big company I worked at. I was in startups always before. And when I started to blog about Gitpod, because it's such a game changer for me on my Chromebook, you know, I blogged about it for about half a year. I wrote some articles on different publications and eventually Gitpod reached out, kind of like pinging me like, hey, you know, we, we're growing. We just raised some money earlier in 2021. It would be great, you know, to have you on board and, and help us spread the word. And I'm like, let me think about that for a second, because I do have a pretty good job at the moment. And it made me think, what do I want to do? And I, I realized very quickly that there is going to be a big shift 
in how we develop. One of the articles I wrote showed that the entire software development lifecycle happens in the cloud, except writing the code. We literally pull the code down, we write it, and we push it right back up into the cloud. And I'm like, okay, this is the last piece of getting the entire development cycle into the cloud. I looked at the team, I did my research, and it became a no-brainer that this is going to be something I want to be part of. I left Google, I joined Gitpod, and couldn't be happier at the moment. It's so much going on. Very exciting. I think that's super cool that you left the gigantic company. You joined another startup because I think there's a lot of people that always thinks like, oh, I've worked in these scruffy startups. I'll go to the big company, see how it is. And some people thrive and like, I love it here. The cafeteria's got everything I need for 10 days. Or they go, no, I prefer the scruffy tighter communities in a startup. My next big thing is... Do you think that we're going to see that seismic shift in the next five years into why are you developing on your computer? Why not just use the cloud? Absolutely. And I'm not saying that just because, you know, I want it to happen. I, I really believe that it's probably less than five years where, you know, individuals are going to see the benefits like you did and many others. But also, I think this is going to start becoming a, a thing of like teams and even larger companies to standardize their onboarding process to standardize their review processes for code. If you can script whatever you currently have in documentation, it will always be up to date because every day, depending on how many people you have, like dozens or hundreds of people start up the environment based on your configuration. That will be the same for the person starting their first day. They'll do the same thing as every other developer does. So I truly believe that over the next two to three years, I even I think this is going to become such a, a standard way of doing. And there will be a lot more companies doing similar things. The market is so big and the opportunities is large, right? So I'm very excited to see others kind of follow and help educate the market. Like we've been at it for a while and GitHub Codespaces is coming along. They help us educate the market. They do a good job at their own product. And we are here as the open source alternative that you can host yourself as well if you want to. What about stack blitz? I usually think of them as one of these newer things because there's the older school ones, like there's Code Sandbox and Repolit and probably others as well. And then there's kind of like a newer breed of these. And I usually think of Gitpod and stack blitz as kind of representative of that. Yeah, I absolutely love what StackBlitz is doing with integrating Node natively, running it in the browser. I think this really helps speed things up and get stuff going very, very quickly. Correct me if I'm wrong, but where I think there's some room for improvement is if you want to run a database or if you want to run multiple microservices or whatever, then you do need something like Gitpod where you have that full environment and you can spin up multiple Docker containers run them in parallel, have them communicate with each other. But absolutely, I agree. I think with tools like Wasm and other languages, bringing more and more of that performance to the browser, definitely excited to see these kind of things growing as well. And for quick projects to spin something up, it's beautiful. I wanted to go back to talking about companies using Gitpod. In the last few days, you have released a new product, technically product, framework, open VS Code server. On the outside, it's basically... You run a terminal, it boots up a VS Code server that you can then go to with a URL, correct? That's absolutely right. Yep. Right. My biggest thing is I've looked at it, read it, looked at it again, and then thought, I need to take off my developer hat. Looked at it again. I went, I get it. This is like 
big companies that require you to use a VPN to even use their services inside the company. They can create all of these bundles, all these developer environments behind their firewalls, and then give you a nice URL to get access to your code. That's where I see that potential. Am I right? Is that kind of the use case? That's definitely one of the big use cases, having that spun up by yourself behind your firewall. The other thing is that it really opens up integrations for for other companies. Like if you want to do more than just the editor, like in education space, for example, if you have like interactive tutorials, you can start using that open source, open VS Code server that we released and integrate that with your learning management system and things like that. It just opens it up to a lot more people to run VS Code in the browser. And if you look at the code, we really just added another layer to the existing two layers that VS Code already has. And Open VS Code Server is basically what we built over the last couple of years and used at Gitpod. We just figured that we're an open company. Let's separate it and open source it. So that's where this came from. So someone else could potentially create Gitpod for education or workshops and use this to fully build in a VS Code Server into that application, for example. You need a pretty good team to build all that. Probably, yes. (laughs) But in theory, this is one of the pieces that makes up Gitpod. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm not saying go away and build it because like most of these things, concept seems easy. You need developers, time, and probably a lot of money. My next big question is, as someone who's been using it, when we quickly spoke about Stack Blitz, you said about the database. That's one of these really important factors that I think just works. But I'm still going to be a bit open and say that I don't think it's perfect yet. I use it with Redwood myself as well in the cloud. My company's built with Redwood. We use it in Gitpod. The part that just isn't quite right is the authentication with your tools. For example, if you're using Doppler or Snaplet, before you can pull down your secrets or seed your database, you need to log into them. But they give you a token. You don't really want to put your token in the pre-build script because it's meant to be more secure. You're in this stage where it's pre-built everything and then you need to log in with your tokens and then you can finish your final stage to seed your database with the latest information from Snaplet or pull down your developer environments from the cloud as in your secrets to be injected in. For me to get Gitpod as perfect as it can be is like it'll automatically log into Snaplet and Doppler and then finish the pre-build step with my database fully set up, needed to go and seeded with latest data and secrets ready to be injected. That's kind of like the final stage for me that I'm pretty sure I could do myself in the Docker file. I'm just not that expert with Docker. (laughs) I was about to say that you could use environment variables in Gitpod to have certain things, but I agree. If there's APIs available to log in and get the tokens and all that, do it in a secure way then yes, in the Docker file would be a good place or even in init script. But you're right there. It does need some work depending on the tool you use. But I think the reason for that is that Gitpod is so open. You could do C++ development or you could do Node.js development. It's hard to catch all these use cases. But I agree there there's some use cases for that. I think it's not just that there is use cases. I think it's that it we're still so early in the market. We're so early to the point that They could be in the future official integrations between all these dev tools and Gitpod, but we're still just talking about, hey, do you know you can code in the cloud? We're not necessarily to the point about, let's really optimize it to the point where now it's from five steps to one step. 
because what we've gone from is from 20 steps to five steps with just moving on to Gitpod. And I think give it a year, give it two years, we'll get them five steps down to one step. When you have these more sophisticated layouts and use cases where when you click pull request, it's going to pull all your latest data from the cloud, abstract it, remove all the things that are not meant to be there pull Prisma, update Prisma, migrate it if required. These are all things that it's still so new with Redwood and everything else using it that we give it a year and we have amazing people in the open source community doing these things. I think we're going to get to a point where that PR request button is that a whole self-contained branch where that user, when they click, I'm going to view this PR, they don't need to worry about opening a dev environment, booting up a database, migrating the database, injecting the new data to test the feature. The whole idea to me is so exciting. And I think we're so close, but so far at the same time, as you probably know yourself. I like to compare it to a rocket launch where we are at the stage where we just turned on the engine. We're still on the ground, but the engines are running. And the next two years is when we actually, when the rocket actually takes off. So good times. For people who haven't used this, there's a couple like kind of configuration as code things you have. So you have like a .gitpod.yaml file when you're working with Gitpod. So I'd be kind of curious to get into this a little bit. I think this might give people a better idea of how all this stuff fits together. Yeah, let's do that. I have some exciting news about that as well. So it's a good day to talk about that. First of all, the gitpod.yaml file. This is a configuration file that you put at the root of your project. That's where you tell Gitpod what to do every time somebody pushes code to your repository. So that pre-build step we talked about earlier, this is really just a Gitpod app that you install on GitHub or Bitbucket or GitLab. What happens is you tell Gitpod, hey, these are certain steps that you can do before I start my workspace, installing dependencies, downloading them, building the project, running tests, things like that. You configure that once. It's basically looking at your contributing.md file and automating whatever you write down there for people to get started. The other thing you can do is you can specify uh, ports. So let's say your application runs on port 8, 9, 10. When you do that, you can tell Gitpod, hey, if you see a process listening on port 8, 9, 10, open that in a new browser tab as a preview. So by the time you start your workspace, the server starts up and the new tab opens, you can start previewing. The other thing you can do is you've probably noticed that some projects, they let's say they use Svelte or they use some other language that would really benefit from a VS Code extension. So what you can do in the Gitpod YAML file is you can configure extensions that are automatically installed at startup time so that everybody who works on that project gets the same experience and the same helpers and, and tools. This is really interesting, especially for companies as well, where if you have like internal extensions or, or things that you want to install for people to use across the board. Maybe it's time tracking, maybe it's whatever. You can do that and everybody gets that out of the box. The exciting thing I was talking about that we are doing, we're actually launching or we already launched a new project called uh, Teams and Projects. Instead of configuring that YAML file and, and committing it to your repository, if you go to gitpod.io slash new, you're now getting a new onboarding flow that allows you to configure Whatever is in the Gitpod YAML, you can configure that in the browser now so that it's detached from your actual source code and you can then share that with your team members. Anybody that is part of that team gets that configuration applied without committing it to the repo. So this is another step towards 
not touching your code or not making you make any changes, but letting you do that outside of the actual source code. This is one the, as I said about, I like to be honest, the small gripes that I've had with Gitpod, figuring out all of these options were sometimes not a little bit clear right now. You have to read a few blog posts, read a few Git issues. But as you said, you no longer need to do it through code. You can now do it in the Teams. That's really, really cool. My big question that I have, and I've still not worked this out myself, is themes and icons. You don't want to put them in your Gitpod you want to put them in your VS Code, how do you share and sync VS Code options? And does it do that automatically? Because I've not worked that out yet myself. You can install them at the user level so that they get installed into all of your Gitpod workspaces, but not the ones of your coworkers. Ah. The fact that you haven't found it means that I haven't documented it well. So <laughs> point taken. Okay, so if you put the plugin into the YAML file, that's saying install it no matter what. Correct. But then if you go into the plugin bar and click install, that's only going to install it into your user. There we go. We've said that it's early. We've said uh, we've still got so much far to go and I'm loving every part of it. My big question, if we're talking about extensions, is why are not all extensions there? That's a very good question. The answer to that is very simple, basically. The VS Code marketplace that you're used to from your local environment, from your local VS Code, that marketplace is proprietary. As an outside company or third party, you're not allowed to access that marketplace, even though VS Code itself, part of it is open source, but then there's a proprietary part on top of it. So is the marketplace. So Gitpod actually launched something called the OpenVSX registry. That's where any extension contributor can just publish their extension to OpenVSX registry as well. That is where we pull the extensions from. And that's also where Eclipse Dia pulls it from. That's the open source version. So anything that's MIT licensed, there's a super simple process that anybody can follow and add their extension to that registry. That's sometimes why you don't see things that you're used to. Now, let's say you want to use something that is proprietary to VS Code only because you really need it. The way to do that is Gitpod supports VS Code integration locally. So when you have a Gitpod workspace running, you can click the menu and then say open in VS Code. That opens up your local VS Code and connects to the remote Gitpod workspace through the remote desktop extension. And what happens now, you're running proprietary VS Code on your local computer, which means you are allowed to install proprietary extensions from the marketplace. So that's how you get around that. This is actually a really interesting point to get onto. Chef's kiss with all these segues, we've done amazing. We've said about running it in the cloud, but you can also run it in your local VS Code and not have your computer overheat and combust is the biggest benefit I've saw of that. And also, yes, as you said, you can use them proprietary extensions like everybody's current favorite one, Copilot. That's magic. A bit too freaky sometimes, but it's great. But as you said, if you're listening to this and you're a plugin maker, please go and add it to the OpenVSX registry because it's not jarring, but you kind of notice something's not there. If that makes sense, you're like, you're going to add something. You're like, oh, that plugin's not there, but I had it on my local computer. But it's them things that you can't really see sometimes. One of the things I'm wondering is what can you edit in VS Code and what can't you edit? For example, you've added some custom settings into VS Code that allow you to integrate and turn off the workspace. But for example, could you completely change it, customize it, integrate brand new functionality into it that's specifically for Gitpod? 
You may have to clarify a bit more. What do you mean by by new functionality into into Gitpod? For example, uh, third party companies may want to integrate like Doppler or Snaplet or Netlify or Vercel, as in these more like closed source ways of clicking them, integrating to them. That is directly a flow done by Gitpod into VS Code that is not there prior to Gitpod's integration into VS Code. It almost sounds like a, an extension to VS Code. Gitpod itself doesn't have extensions at the moment. It would have to be a script or an API that, that you can call from, from a command line interface. But if it's an extension that you can install, then yeah, absolutely, you could extend Gitpod since it's VS Code as the editor and do proprietary things there. I think we've also glossed over the port situation. As soon as you do next dev or yarn dev or whatever you're using, it's going to say, go to 123 or 8910 or, you know, all the ones that we use. So how does that work on the cloud? And how does that also work when you're hosting it locally? Well, ported it locally. Basically, what happens is your console is still going to say, visit localhost colon 8080 or something like that in the Gitpod terminal. But what we do behind the scenes is if you click that link, we then open a public URL well, it's private by default, so you have to be authenticated. So you open a URL that's 8080 dash and then your workspace name. So you can access any port through a URL in your browser. Now, when you use VS Code desktop support, so you run it on your local machine, we have an app behind the scenes called the Local Companion app that we install automatically with the extension. And that's just tunneling TCP ports between the two environments, your local environment and Gitpod. So if you go to localhost 8080, that actually just tunnels it over to Gitpod and runs it on there. So it's still localhost 8080, but the data that you fetch comes from the cloud and the Gitpod environment in this case. And that local companion can also be downloaded standalone and just run in terminal. So if you don't want to use VS Code locally, you just want to use it in your browser, you can still get the localhost 8910 experience. It's such an exciting thing because... There's been so many times I've spoken to Anthony. I've got this powerful MacBook. Through my company, I got a 2020 16-inch MacBook. And honest to God, it's been the worst laptop I've ever had to develop on because it gets so hot, overheats, VS Code slows down, and we're at a crawling pace. I always thought to myself, the solution's a different IDE. Let's go looking for a different IDE. You know, that's going to solve all my problems. The only thing that's actually solved all of my issues with performance has actually moved it to the cloud. In terms of like responsiveness of looking at code, compiling code has significantly sped up with it just being on the cloud instead of a 2020 MacBook. That's bonkers to say that something that you can use for free is more powerful potentially than spending £2,000 on a MacBook. It's bonkers. <laughs> it definitely changes the perception of how much you want to spend on equipment, I think, especially if it's your personal investment. Agreed. This is a great tool for just having lots of different frameworks that have like pre-built starters. Look at through your docs and your docs are beautiful, by the way. Your guys' docs look so good. You have example projects by language and then also by framework. You've got like such a huge range of stuff, like not even web stuff. You have R and Julia and Dart and all this other stuff. So has Gitpod to think about these starter applications? What do you try to optimize for? And like, how do you think that they reach their maximum usefulness? 
you're touching on a sensitive topic internally. Let me explain how this happened. We started with a few that we thought are like popular tools. Like we had a Java, we had a Node.js example. And then we kept getting questions from the community like, hey, I don't see a Python example. Does Gitpod work with Python? And we're like, yeah, Gitpod works with any programming language. We're like, okay, if people don't see it in the in the starters, then maybe they think we don't support it. So we started to just add whatever came up in the communities, had people help us out. One of my coworkers put in a lot of effort to create a bunch of those templates. So what's the rule? There is no rule. Like literally anything goes. I think the more the merrier. And then we are writing currently uh, integration tests so that we know that they are not out of date or not breaking. But we basically gave up on, on trying to dictate what to put there because the community just stepped up and had all these suggestions. And for us, it's exciting to test all these new tools. I've I never used Julia and, you know, you're learning about it and putting a sample together is, is quite fun. I do the same thing for steps and I run our steps and samples org. So I really enjoy it. I think it's a, a fun kind of problem space, but I do agree that it can be like a little frustrating just because you don't want people to be kind of boxed in, in terms of thinking what they can do with the tool because it will narrow people's mindset of what they can do if they just come to this set of starters and then just pick them off the list versus like kind of thinking of it from like a blank slate. But I am definitely of the opinion that you cannot have too many docs. <laughs> like it's not possible because having that that one doc that that one person is going to need at like the right time is just so crucial and it's just better for it to be there than to not, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's something that's in, in flux and, and we keep talking about it as well, figuring out what's the best way. And, and you know, you've touched on maintenance. It's a lot of work to make sure this all stays updated. SwellKit is still pre 1.0 release and things are changing on a daily basis. Once in a while, we get a report saying, hey, it doesn't start. You look into it, you fix it. I'd actually be curious to get into some Svelte stuff, but are there any kind of final things you want to talk about in terms of things that are coming up or anything important you think we've missed? We are a very um, public company. You can see that if you go to our website, we have links to our Notion pages. The most exciting thing to look at probably is gitpod.io slash roadmap that gives you our roadmap and public-private, there's just one roadmap that we have. So every, everything is right there. You can go help us prioritize things by leaving comments, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down thingy to help us kind of guide us. But the other thing I, I recommend is gitpod.io slash new and just give it a go. See how it flows. If you're curious about the difference between local environment and the cloud, I wrote a blog post called I gave up on local development or something like that where I have Alice and Bob comparing how they both work. Bob works locally, Alice works in the cloud. That also gives you a good idea of the differences. There's a lot of things like when you're working on a feature and somebody asks you to do a hot fix on production, you just spin up a second Gitpod environment. You do your work, you shut it down, you're back into your development branch and you keep working. So no Git stash, no changing branches, none of that stuff. Yeah, give it a go. You know, ping me if you have any questions. Obviously, I'm online. I finally reconfigured my question that made no sense a minute ago. Gitpod is currently very close to what VS Code is. We now have GitHub's code spaces on the market as well, and things like StackBlitz, even older ones like Code Sandbox. But multiple tend to have different UIs, slight different workflows. Even some of them, like Code Sandbox, if I'm right, is based upon VS Code. Do you think Gitpod? will customize the way VS Code works in the future to stand slightly different to GitHub code spaces or will majority keep the base VS Code functionality flows and just go from there? That makes sense. Okay, so basically, if you go to our new website, www.gitpod.io, 
and you scroll down, you can see a screenshot of the current VS Code. And what we are announcing on the right side there is that we are also working with uh, IntelliJ to support all the IntelliJ IDs as well. So this is work in progress. The, the reason we are doing that is because we don't want to dictate what editor you use. There's a lot of good editors out there, depending on which programming language you use and things like that. And this really opens us up to bring your own IDE, basically. Just like you can bring your own Docker container for the underlying image that you run on Gitpod, you can then bring your own IDE and use JetBrains and, and anybody else that provides their editor to run in the browser. JetBrains is this massive IDE. Is it going to be literally just like running JetBrains in the cloud, just like VS Code, exactly the same with all of its interesting development flows, <laughs> if you use them? That's my understanding uh, with the collaboration we have to get this working just like that. Yeah. Awesome. By the way, we skipped something. How did you learn to code? What was your very first experience coding? <laughs> wow. Okay. That goes back. My dad spent quite a bit of money to get a computer for himself back in the mid nineties. Me being young, I broke it and he gave me two options. One, you know, fix it or two, buy a new one. And clearly I didn't have the money to buy a new one. So I just basically sat there trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, went to the neighbor, compared their setup, came back, copied files on floppy disks to make sure I got everything that I messed up. Yeah, it took forever, but I got it back working. And then I started doing Pascal programs to solve my math homework because there was always this pattern that, you know, they gave you in school and then you had to go home and do your homework following that same pattern. I would write Pascal programs at that time to feed in whatever was in my book and then it would spit out the answer. That, that was, yeah, way back. Good times. <laughs> That's very cool and makes sense how it got into where you are if that's where you were starting. Something that we actually connected on that I thought was really cool is you're a big Svelte fan. You mentioned it a couple times throughout the course of this episode. And I had mentioned on our end of the year wrap up episode last year for FS Jam that one of the things I thought was going to happen is we were going to see full stack Svelte and like full stack view. We're going to start to become a thing. You helped make it a thing. You helped prove me right because you put together a starter with Svelte Kit and Prisma. I felt like it was just as someone following all these tools, to me, it was just obvious, like someone was going to put Svelkit and Prisma together eventually. It was just a question of actually doing it. So I'd be curious, what was your motivation for that? And like, where do you think this kind of like full stack Svelte stuff is going? I'm glad I proved you right. That's the first good thing. What's really happened is when I wrote the cloud native web development book last year, at the end, we went from zero to monitoring an app in production in the, throughout the book. And at the end of the book, I got a lot of people messaging me saying that, hey, that starter kit is amazing. It has a full stack application. It saves me so much time. And I'm like, wait, why are we doing the same thing over and over again every time we start an application? Every app eventually needs a database. And just like Redwood does an amazing job in the React community, I'm on the Svelte kind of like train for, for I've been there for the last two years. And when I saw that Svelte kit is bringing the endpoints and all that stuff and adapters to deploy to wherever you want, I started looking into like, okay, what's the connection to the backend? And, you know, Prisma came up, GraphQL is there. And then that's when I found Redwood. It just blew my mind that there wasn't anything like that to help you create this full stack application and then just use a CLI to keep on building at it. And, you know, heavily impressed and inspired by Redwood, I started building that Webstone project. Yeah, so what is Webstone? Yeah, it's me coming up with a fancy name, the, the cornerstone of your next web application. <laughs> Webstone is a starter kit and a, and a command line interface that lets you start a full stack application and then use the CLI to add pages, 
at the moment, but I'm going to extend that so that you can also add like a database model and the entire CRUD functionality for that so that you don't have to build that over and over again. If you want to add Stripe integration, you say, you know, use the command line to say add Stripe and it does all the heavy lifting for you because really you guys know that from Redwood, like why do we spend time on doing that over and over again at every company when really we could spend that time solving actual problems? That's kind of what I'm doing in my free time there. And you have a Discord and you're building a community around it, right? I just figured that, you know, I may as well talk about it publicly, help get feedback from as early on as possible. So they're on the GitHub repo, webstonehq slash webstone. There is a link to the Discord and I'm sharing, you know, more or less daily updates besides my day job, morning, evenings, when I get a minute, what, what's going on. So it's, it's early stages, but I think there's some interest to, even if it's just agencies or something that save a lot of time starting new projects. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, honestly, yeah. we need to get you back to do an entire episode on Webstone. I think this is like so, so interesting, but we're pretty much out of time here. Come back in six months when everything's ready to go and you officially say, now businesses can start using this because nobody likes to use it before. Even the people that make it say, now you can start using it. But most people start using it before that. Risky. Risky. That's a plan. Well, I'll reach out. <laughs> Where can the listeners of this podcast find you? Where can they get your book? What's the easiest way to get to Gitpod and start going? For myself, uh, I think the best way to reach me is twitter.com slash Mike Nicholas. And then from there, I'll link to the rest of my life. Everything else is there. For Gitpod, www.gitpod.io is where the entry point is. And from there, again, you find our community, you find everything else. These are probably the two things to get in touch. If you've got an old project that you know causes hell to run on your local machine, boot it up in Gitpod, and if it works first time, you'll probably be sold like I was. <laughs> That's right. Thanks so much, man. That was great. That was, this is the most links I've ever had in an episode. <laughs> so first of all, I have to say I'm very impressed at, first of all, how quickly...